Hello, everyone. This is Michael Govier from the Cinema 9 Podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 273, Love Actually Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, we're going back 20 years to the 2003 holiday film, Love Actually. But before we get to our movie review, Derek, what pop culture have you been able to take in this past week and educate me on? Hey, Chris. Well, I had a chance to watch uh, three brand new things. Oh, okay. So first one I had was a television show or television series on right. Netflix, mm-hmm. season seven of Big Mouth. Oh, that's, that's a good one. So I believe you started watching this. I don't know how far into the uh, into the show you got. But, yeah, you uh, got me onto it. I probably watched mm, three, maybe four seasons of it. I really like it. It's quite good. Just haven't had the opportunity to get back to it. Yeah, too no, busy watching uh, Happy Days. There you go. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's solid. The new season is quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I think like so many of these shows that, you know, we'll call them in air quotes with a small G groundbreaking, like not really groundbreaking, but where you've got rude and crude humor done through animation featuring younger characters, like sort of the South Park model of, oh, my God, I can't believe these little kids are saying these things. Right. And, and there's certainly this show has a has a little bit of that. It built that built on that sort of shock value. But at the same mm-hmm. time, this one, more than a lot of its predecessors, really tries to be honest about what's happening, like what happens to kids as they're going through puberty from their perception. Uh, so, I mean, that's one of the staples of why the show has been so successful. Honestly, though, I'm finding that seven seasons in there's not a whole lot of stuff that they can do that they haven't already done there's not a lot in my mind that they can explore uh that they haven't already treaded on at least a little bit so it's it's enjoyable i find there's not as many haha out loud moments largely because i found in the first couple of seasons the things that i found so funny were the things i also found the most outrageous and unsuspecting (laughs) but now it's you've had seven seasons my my eyes are wide open i i got a pretty good sense of what the joke's gonna be uh, there have been some like i watched one i've got literally i have one more episode to go which i'll probably watch after we record this episode um i watched one earlier today where there was there was a couple of scenes and a couple of lines that had me you know in tears i was laughing so much but otherwise it was it's good but it's not amazing but if you're if you're seven seasons into it and you watch the first six seasons like definitely give the seventh season a go um we'll see i got one more to go but so far so good so that's the first one the next one i had was a new movie that just dropped in the last week on netflix a possible oscar contender Mm. the movie's called the killer it's directed by david fincher who is known as the director of the movie seven for example and fight club and this one stars uh michael fassbender as the killer in the title and he's an assassin what i didn't realize until after i watched the movie is it's based on a french graphic novel comic book um and it definitely sort of felt a little bit like that uh you know once i realized i was like okay i can see it but it's more of a slow burn sort of film noir uh detectives type story like it's it's in the very beginning the main character the killer like he narrates the whole thing much like in a comic book when it's focuses on a single character you get like those thought bubbles and so the the narrator at the very beginning talks about how being an assassin uh you have to be able to sit sit still pay attention do nothing and and basically uh you know fight off boredom for long stretches of time while you are watching your potential victim that you've been hired to assassinate and i've kind of felt this movie was like that too it was kind of long kind of slow and there were some parts that 
I thought sort of were dragging a little bit, but then once you sort of get the payoff, you're like, okay, that part needed to be slow for this part to pay off. Uh, I don't think this is a movie that everyone's going to love, but I did enjoy it. I, I would probably give it like a B minus. Um, and I think it's one of those ones that maybe a year from now I'm going to want to come back and give it a second go. Performances were great. The way that the movie was shot is fantastic. Uh, Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, does the the musical score. He's done the, the scores for most of Fincher's movies lately. Uh, so it looked great. It sounded great. It felt great. The performances were great. I, I just thought that the story was not everything I was hoping it would be. Um, but... It is uh, being already touted as possible Oscar contender for, you know, best picture, best director, best performance, best sound. So we'll see when uh, when the award nominations come out, how how right or wrong I am compared to what else is in the field. And that was on Netflix as well. And then finally, I had a chance to watch a documentary for 40 days and 40 nights. Watch documentaries. Likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentary. Documentaries. Oh, please educate us. So it's uh, just dropped on HBO this week, and it is about the Hollywood personality Albert Brooks. Oh, writer, director, performer. Nice. It's called Albert Brooks Defending My Life. It's directed by Rob Reiner, who is apparently one of Albert Brooks's longtime best friends. Mm hmm. And it is very candid. It's a it's a biography of his of Albert Brooks's life, but the majority of the movie is Rob Reiner and Albert Brooks sitting in a restaurant, and Rob Reiner's just asking Albert Brooks questions and prompting him to tell stories about his past. And a lot of the stories involves both of them because they've been friends so many years. And then it, it's intercut with like scenes from Albert Brooks's um, you know movie and television career, and uh, it was really good. I mean, we saw. A year ago, we saw the the documentary on um, Bob Einstein, the Super Dave Osborne, yes. who is Albert yes. Brooks's real brother. Like Albert Brooks's real name is Albert Einstein. His bo his brother Bob always just went with Bob Einstein. So we've got this this second documentary now about the other brother, probably you know arguably the more famous brother. Um, a very different kind of documentary, but uh, a very I think a very different kind of personality. But if you if you like Albert Brooks, you like his stuff or you've sort of intrigued about like what's he been doing, how to get where he was like for me, he was a little before my time. Like I, I, I started to become aware of him in the late 80s and early 90s, but I really didn't know anything about his earlier works or how he, he was always he was. like really underrated. I thought that's what yeah. all of these comedians. Absolutely. See, it's a who's who of, of other famous comedians and personalities in this documentary that that are asked to speak about Albert Brooks and oh my god the the how much everybody loves him and admires him and respects him and the kind of pedestal that they put him on and he was and he was like more this. he's more influential than famous absolutely if that makes sense absolutely. no yeah. that's exactly that's a great way to put it and that's what a lot of these uh, a lot of these people and they talk to a lot of like directors and writers some of whom he's worked with some of whom are just like his peers and uh, no, it's fantastic just to hear everybody speak, talk about him in his life. It was it was really good. It was it was very entertaining, very educational. And, it, you know, not every documentary is going to be about someone whose life has been filmed. So you don't always have like it's often a lot of these documentaries. It's just a lot of like still photos and people talking mm -hmm. about it. But with someone like this, his whole life's been in front of a camera. So there was so much of it that they could cut clips to, which I, I found just added to the uh to the production value of this thing no it was quite good it's called albert brooks defending my life it's on hbo and uh yeah it runs 85 minutes it's just under an hour and a half no it flew right by it was really really good i strongly recommend it two thumbs up oh nice okay i've got something for you by the way i was watching the love boat the other day i know that's a real shocker i know <clears throat> and uh i've mentioned before the love boat is on pluto tv which is the best app ever by the way. Anyway, the reason this stood out to me, recently here on the podcast, you and I reviewed Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And when we talked about that movie, I mentioned one of my favorite secondary characters of all time, Amazing Larry. So he's barely in the movie at all, but he's the guy that was sitting there in Pee-wee's basement in the scene when um, Pee-wee's going through all the exhibits in his presentation of how his bike got stolen. And then there's this there's this guy in the crowd. He's bald. He's got these feathers like on suction cups on his head, like a mohawk, you know. 
And the guy, he, the guy, he's talking to a guy beside him. And when Pee Wee's doing his presentation and Pee Wee yells at him, he's like, amazing Larry, is there something you would like to share with the rest of us? And then, and then right. the guy gets all freaked out. And, and like, I don't know what it is about that guy. I've always loved that guy. He's like weird and bizarre. I can't even put my finger on it. Exactly. I just, I just love amazing Larry. So anyway, all that being said, I'm watching the love boat the other day. And one of the subplots is titled Isaac's Crush. And it's about this famous female singer who's coming on the ship and Isaac has all her albums. He's got this crush on her. And when she pulls up to the ship to get on the cruise, her manager gets out of the limo and escorts her up the ramp. And it's amazing, Larry. Nice. (laughs) It's amazing, Larry. He was played by um, actor Lou Coutel. And he was one of these actors that basically made appearances in hundreds of TV shows over the years, like almost always like one episode. That was it. Um, He was even in the show Alice, which we mentioned last week. He was in Alice a couple of times as a customer, but he'll always be amazing Larry to me. And I, I just, I cannot think that I'm the only person in this world who likes amazing Larry. So I'll tell you what, if you're like me, and you're a fan of Amazing Larry, shoot me an email, chris at popgoesyourworld.com, and we will start up an Amazing Larry fan club. That's what I want to do. I also got this. Here's your dad joke of the week. What do they always say, Derek? Never mention politics, sex, or religion, right? So uh, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. My dad joke this week is a religious joke. Of course it is. So here we go. Derek, what did Adam say on the day before Christmas? Oh, I can only think of really inappropriate answers, and I'm sure yours will be even worse. So I don't know. What did he say? It's Christmas Eve. I I think my guess about stuffing a stocking would have been a lot more fun. (laughs) But I thought it'd be better if I did it with song. Any opportunity to sing a song. Yeah, Hundo P. Oh, my God. Of course it is. World. Terrible. I'm Sure. I can think of 11 reasons not to like that. Before we get started on the movie review... I I just wanted to say something, Derek. So now you know me. Like, I love Christmas. I'm like a big kid around the holidays. But that being said, I have a question for you. Sure. When do you think is the right time for Christmas stuff to start making an appearance? And I'm talking about like any and all of it. Like Christmas songs on the radio, decorations, Christmas specials, all of it. When should it start? All right. So... In my opinion, and I mean, mine's just one opinion that doesn't necessarily carry any more weight than anyone else's, probably less weight than most. Given that we are so heavily influenced here by the Canadian, by the American television market, I would think that Christmas stuff should not really realistically should not be out until after the U.S. Thanksgiving. But understanding that Christmas is a money making holiday like any other made up holiday that uh, you're going to want to maximize your bucks. So I think. No earlier than the first of November. Like you don't want to see Christmas stuff out before Halloween, but I, I know personally, both my wife and I were out on November first this year, and both of us saw Christmas things in the stores and started hearing Christmas carols. So, I don't think you're going to get away from hearing the songs and seeing the stuff that early. But if I had my druthers, it would be after Black Friday, then Christmas it up for the next month, and you're good to go. I agree with you. Like United States has Thanksgiving in late November, unlike. Those of us up here in Canada, we celebrate Thanksgiving in October. Right. I agree. I think it's best to wait until at least after American Thanksgiving is over. But I've always felt Christmas stuff shouldn't come out until December 1st. I don't know. That's my thought. So anyway. I mean, mean, but in all fairness, Chris, I mean, if if you have little kids like and I don't, so I don't have a leg to stand on here. But if I had little kids in my house, I would think that. That's part of the reason that so many grownups love love Christmas is is being able to re-experience Christmas through the eyes of your children, especially when they're young and they they don't have that experience and that that 
that familiarity with Christmas. So it's just that that magical opportunity for them, you know, to, to see them happy, to, to shower them with gifts, to to, you know, bathe them in the pageantry that is the Christmas holiday season. So with that in mind, if I had young kids, I would probably want to jump on Christmas as early as possible. But I think as my kids started to get older, I would probably start to go back to the the thoughts that I had just expressed where it's like, okay, we get it. We understand what it is. And let's just pull that back a bit. Oh, I, I like, you know, experiencing Christmas through my kids too, but December 1st is when I think it should be. Anyway, sure. the reason I, I mentioned I'm driving to work the other day, it's November 13th. I get in the car. I turn on the radio, Christmas songs, November 13th. Ugh. Just it too early. Derek, this season on the podcast, anytime that we've done a movie review, it's been a film celebrating a milestone anniversary. So Christmas season is coming. That's why we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. So we decided to do some holiday themed movies celebrating milestone anniversaries. Up first, um, a movie that debuted in theaters 20 years ago, and that's Love Actually. So, Derek, yep. you nominated this movie for review here on the podcast. So maybe you can sort of kick things off by telling us why you wanted us to go back and watch this particular film. Sure. So I actually was fortunate enough to see the North American premiere of this movie at the Toronto International Film Festival in September of 2003. And it was a crowd favorite. The crowd loved it. And almost everyone in the main cast was there promoting this movie because a lot of them were not as famous then as they are now, especially given the bodies of work that some of them have produced in the last 20 years. Uh, the dire- the writer and director, it was like, I believe it was his first directing opportunity. He had written some things before. He had worked with Hugh Grant before, but this was sort of his premiere. And I think that the 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 uh, performers wanted to be there to support him. And, and it was a fan favorite. The crowd loved it. And over the years, I've probably watched this movie every, well, I have watched this movie every year around the holiday season. Uh, you know, I've, I've, it's 20 years old, but I've definitely seen it more than 20 times, probably more than 40 times. I really enjoy this movie. Um, I just love the idea that it's at its face value. It's a movie about the different ways that people love each other. The, you know, the familial love, the romantic love, the, the love of friendship, uh, you know, the, the, the just hardcore sex elements of love. Like there's, there's all these different ways. Like love is a word that can be interpreted so many ways and have so many different meanings. And, and this movie really digs into the, the, the positive aspects of it a lot. There's a little bit of the negative as well. I mean, that's part and parcel of it, but, um, it's, I I like to think of it as a feel good movie, even though there are some downer parts for the, for the vast majority, most of the characters have a very happy and satisfying ending. Most of them end up in a more positive place than they were at the beginning. And it's all wrapped around the framework of Christmas, which just adds to that feel-good component of the movie. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's become a Christmas staple for me, along with a whole bunch of others. This is one that, uh, that I definitely see every year that, that I always look forward to watching. It does air periodically on some of the streamers and some of the, the cable channels outside of the Christmas window, which I mean, which is fine. Sometimes these movies do, but, um, but I think more and more people have started to associate this as a holiday movie, as a Christmas movie. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, you've had a chance to, well, I know you've had a chance to watch it, so we'll, we'll find out what you think of it. And uh, I know you said that your wife was looking forward to watching it. I don't know if she had seen it before and wanted to watch it again or if she had never seen it. So I, I, I mean, I know a lot of people that have seen this. I know very few people that dislike it. I know a lot of people that have a handful of criticisms about it, but that's fair for any movie. And and honestly, even through this new watch just this week, I have a few criticisms that maybe I wouldn't have been so critical of before. And we can talk about those when we get there. But but no, I thought it was a good opportunity to have uh, a look at, at a what I think is now considered a Christmas classic. It's 20 years old. And um yeah, just to, to have a chance to talk about it and see uh, see what we like, what we don't like. Does it hold up? All that good stuff. And if it's something you haven't seen before, that's always a bonus. So mm-hmm. that being said, tell me about your first movie watching experience of Love Actually. Yeah, I'd never seen it before. Like I said, I think I'm going to dip into a little spinal tap here. And I'm going to say my review of Love Actually is simply a two word review. Uh, oh, actually. Oh, man. I know You're- this movie has its fans, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. There's people that watch it every year and they say it's a great Christmas movie, everything, but they're wrong. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm going to get nasty emails for this, but, but I got to be honest. I didn't like this movie. A lot of reasons I didn't. I'm sure we're going to get into all of them here this week. But the first thing I want to ask you is 
is this a Christmas movie? Yeah, that's all. It's it's up for debate. I mean, it definitely is framed around the Christmas holiday. The movie begins with the, the title card comes up. It says five weeks before Christmas and the whole movie, the events, that's how they tell you. That's how they keep you informed of like how the events are progressing four weeks before Christmas, right. three weeks before Christmas. You had the one subplot with the, um, or well, not subplot, but one of the plots where the, the aging music performer is trying to have the number one song of the year. And, and uh, there's the the children in the story are in a Christmas pageant. And so it's all clearly leading up to eventually up to Christmas. And and I think that some of the we'll call it some of the, the hokiness, some of the wish fulfillment in this movie only works or, or works better if it's framed in that Christmas idea. And, and even some of the characters say that, like the only reason I'm professing my love for you is because it's Christmas. The only reason I'm asking you out on a date is because it's Christmas. And you know, Christmas is a time of miracles and, and we should be honest with each other. And it's a time of loving and giving. And so I'm putting my heart out there. And I think if this movie didn't take place at Christmas, some of those stories and some of those actions might seem a little less romantic and just seem a lot more creepy, which is not to say some of them aren't creepy and we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think you have to say it is a Christmas movie. If for no other reason than it takes place at Christmas, there's, you know, there's Christmas carols, there's Christmas songs, there's Christmas trees, there's Christmas outfits. It's, I, I think it's easier to say this is a Christmas movie than say something like Die Hard, which a lot of people are like, well, it's, that's not a Christmas movie, which I believe Die Hard is a Christmas movie. If, if you think Die Hard's a Christmas movie, you have to think this is a Christmas movie. I think Die Hard's a Christmas movie, but I don't think this one is a Christmas movie because okay. Christmas has nothing to do with this film in any way other than maybe to be used as a plot device yeah. to try and tie together a bunch of crappy subplots together. But even that doesn't matter. Like the final sort of climax of the movie that you mentioned when everyone's at the kids' Christmas play there that could have been any school play. It didn't have to be a Christmas pageant. That's fair. I think, if anything, Richard Curtis, who wrote and directed this, was trying to exploit the fact that a lot of people find Christmas to be romantic. I agree. So in some ways, to me, it comes off like it's a little bit lazy on his part, trying to use Christmas to help prop up his script. Mm. Because I just, I didn't feel there was enough romance in the script, you know, on its own to support itself. So that's for me. I have another question for you. If this movie was made today in 2023, what would be different? I have a lot. There, there's things. a couple of the subplots I think would have to be tweaked. I mm -hmm. definitely the number one thing that would be different is there would be a same sex relationship because mm -hmm. there's not there. That is one thing that is not in here. Yeah, and there's, there's no gay. They, there's no gay characters. And I agree. No, I, I but again, that, 20 no. years ago, you, you didn't usually see that in a mainstream movie unless it was being played for laughs or you would see, you know, the gay best friend who has a roommate and is not actually, you know, described as being gay, but is the effeminate man who dresses well and has a, a male roommate. And it's, you know, we were at a different point 20 years ago. Um, I think you would, uh, I think the movie does a fairly good job, but could probably do a better job of, of just being a little more cosmopolitan. There, there are some people of color in this, but mm -hmm. for the most part, it's whiteies. But again, you gotta, you gotta look at who made it when it was made and what they were trying to do, do with it. You can't please everybody with every movie every time, but I think I think absolutely on its face you would definitely need to include a, a same sex relationship in there, um, and a few of the other ones. And again, we sort of hit them as we go, but there's a couple in here that you couldn't put them in the way they are in there now because they don't work. They they probably shouldn't have worked then, but they definitely wouldn't work today. But I think with a few small adjustments, you could make them work. Again, twenty years of of you know experience and progression. Uh, gives you a, a slightly different perspective on how to tell that same story and accomplish that same emotion, but to do it in a way that's maybe a little less creepy or a little more appropriate mm -hmm. by today's standards. Yeah, I think for me, a couple things, if it was made today, first of all, it'd probably be straight to Netflix, you know, um, more women in control, I think was needed yeah. here. And I like your point about like not all white people would be nice. And the gay characters, like, it needed that sort of gay subplot. Like, I I was a little surprised there wasn't any gay characters. Like, there was the moment in early in the movie, I think someone thought Andrew Lincoln was in love with his best friend. And I immediately yeah. turned to my wife. I'm like, no, he's not. He's in love with his best friend's wife. You know, like, yeah. it, it seemed obvious. So, 
The thing is, Derek, I actually like the idea of this film. I just didn't like the execution of the film. Okay. So I think it's an amazing idea to have a film centered around all these different incarnations of love. This movie tries to do it, but it misses the mark, in my opinion. So, okay. Let's let me ask at, you. This, yeah, and we can go into the specifics. But uh, what I'm curious to know as we go through is, did mm-hmm. you feel that some of the stories and some of the relationships worked better than others? Did you feel some were yes. like, you know, this worked, and I get it, but there was, I think it's something like eight or ten different stories. Well, if you only, if you only think two of them work and eight of them fail, that's hard to say that you enjoyed the movie. So maybe as we go through, hopefully there's at least a couple that you're like, that you could find some redeeming qualities for or, or some positives in. I think some worked better than others, but let, let's just look at the different sure. versions of love that it okay. tries to address. So we'll start with puppy love. The kid has a crush on the girl in school that sings, yeah. right? Yeah. And Liam Neeson has this kind of weirdly inappropriate relationship with the kid because he's talking about stuff that's, way too mature for him to understand. And then, for and also, the kid's kind of weird and creepy looking. I don't know. He's just a creepy looking kid. And um, I don't know if you recognize him. Do you, do you recognize where he was from? Oh, yeah. No, no I, I've sort of, he, I've seen him. He's been he was in the stuff. Queen's Gambit. He was in Queen's Gambit. Yeah. He was in Game of Thrones. Yeah. He, he did a lot of voice work for cartoons. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. Liam Neeson basically eggs this kid on to stalk the girl at the airport and break about 50 international laws probably along the way. It would have been, I think, better if he if he tried to win the girl over by learning the drums and then it doesn't work. So she moves away. But then another girl from his class likes him just for him. Not for the drums. You know what I mean? Like, because they're, they're like, musicians always get girls. You know, that's why I always play so many instruments, Derek. <laughs> no, but, but I just, I felt like it would have been, it, it should have been handled differently. So, the well, but again, was, and, and if, if the movie was, this is, this is, I think, one of the challenges the movie had is because it's juggling so many balls at the same time, mm-hmm. each story sort of has to be to the extreme. Like, you don't have, you can't do that slow burn. Like, if this was a six episode Netflix series, you would have the time to, like, so they, at the, if the first, the beginning of the movie, it says five weeks till Christmas. If this was a prestige television show, each week would be a separate episode and maybe with the last two episodes culminating in the last week. And I think that that could work. And I think the kind of thing you're describing, definitely that would be a better way to handle it. But I think you would have more time for all the characters to see more development. And to your point with the little kids, the, we don't get to meet really any of his classmates or anything like that. We don't get to see any scenes of him interacting with kids at school. Whereas if this thing was a six hour miniseries, you probably would. And to your point, you, maybe you see, there's a couple other kids in the class that, that he's, you know, that, that he, that, that like him back and, and the, your description of a possible ending would, would work a lot better. But in a case like this, it's a movie. It's a sensational wish fulfillment. It's like you want the little boy to go with the little girl. And but again, all, the, all the time they spend at the airport when he's trying to like track her down instead, just be at the end of the, the Christmas pageant thing and have her leave and have another girl come up and just say, you know, I like you. Oh, you like my drumming? No, I just like you or whatever. Like I like you in math class or something. I don't know. Like it, yeah. just, it could have been handled like just as quickly. Sure. No, I'll give you that. Okay, so another type of love that's addressed is unrequited love. So Andrew Lincoln is in love with his best friend's wife, but he's not. He just thinks she's hot. I mean, I don't blame him, but he never even talks to her. He never said a single word to this girl. They don't know each other at all. That is not being in love with someone. That's being obsessed with a pretty girl. You know, yeah, and it comes off as creepy and obsession is not love. So there's the scene when he goes to the house and he holds up the cue cards. I'm assuming that's supposed to be like the millennial version of John Cusack with the boom box and saying anything. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so. I don't know, the, that whole subplot was just wrong and creepy and weird and dumb, I thought. Yeah, that that's the one to me that that is the most problematic it was sort of on the line i felt it was sort of on the line back then but it definitely over time has really has that creepy vibe and the fact that everyone's so good looking i think people are willing to forgive it but i mean if 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 his character 
you know, uh, um, what's his name? Rick from Walking Dead. Mm. If that guy, if that performer was way less good looking, like, you know, if he was just an average guy or he was overweight or something like that, this would be the audience, I don't think, would be as willing to accept it. But the one thing I do think that 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 they got right with that is and he sort of expresses this a little bit in the dialogue uh, through the course of the dialogue, the very limited dialogue they have is that the fact that he does find her so attractive and, and maybe he does believe he's in love with her is at least he's um, intelligent enough to realize, like, this is my best friend. He's in love with her. I'm not going to do anything stupid to try and ruin their relationship or his relationship with his friend. And uh, that part of it, I think you could, if again, if we were to remake it today, I think that's more the way you need to go. But there needs to be like almost like he needs to have a, a best friend or a buddy that he can he can talk to about this so that we, the audience, know what's going on where, he, you know, and he says the whole reason I never got to know her is by the time the very first time I ever I mean, we don't know this for sure, but I always got the impression it's like the very first time he ever met her was probably when his buddy shows up and said, this is my girlfriend. So and so we're engaged. And it's like. Well, then I don't have a chance. And had I met her before you, that would have been a whole different thing. But, you know, you guys are clearly in love and you're together. So I'm not going to get in the way of that. It's not not his place to do that. Um, but again, he still sort of can't help himself by, you know, with the cue cards. Well, I love you, but I'm not going to. And, I, you know, you're perfect to me and rah, rah, rah. And like she should have just reached out, slapped him in the face, given him the finger, kicked <laughs> him out and been like, you know. I don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> but of course, that's not what you do in a movie like this, right? She chases after him. She gives him a little kiss and everybody goes away happy. And you would lo love to believe that he's going to move on. Because I think he even says that. He's like, that's enough of this. That's enough. I'm moving on or something like that. And um, it wasn't an overly romantic or sexual kiss that she gives him. No, not at all. Not at all. And I mean. It was almost like a thank you kind of thing. Yeah. And just, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, you really could have done it the other way and it's gone super creepy. And like when she found the video, it could have been like him, like taking shots of her butt and like whenever she bent over to pick something up, he would be there like zooming in on her on her on her butt or or try to look down her shirt. And it's like, dude, you are super creeping on this girl. But but again, they tried to make it like, oh, no, he's just, you know, he's he's obsessed with her. She's beautiful. She's the prettiest, most perfect woman he's ever seen. And, and this is the closest he's ever going to get. But it's like you got to wonder. That that video was just her. Like, why did he have it there? Why was it so readily accessible? How frequently did he watch that video? What was he doing with his hands when the video was on? Like, <laughs> sort of begs a certain questions, which, yep. you know, again, she didn't seem to freak out. So I, I kind of hope that she didn't go there. But you got to think like a half an hour later, she would have come to that same conclusion. I've been like, I don't want to be anywhere near this guy. But. All right. So another version of love that was, I guess, tackled in this film I don't know whether you call it a stagnant love. The older couple, played by Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson. Yep. They've been married for a long time, so things have got stagnant, or at least complacent, I guess might be the word. Sure. And so there's that whole thing with this younger, attractive secretary. Like, like what was even that all about? Like, he never really flirts with her. She no, always, think... She's always coming on to him. Yeah. And, the, and, and then he buys her that expensive necklace. But... Are they actually having an affair? Like, are they? Are they so, not? It's not really clear. It's it's deliberately left up in the air. But um, I was reading some of the behind the scenes stuff, and they asked they asked the writer about it, and he said in his mind that yes, there was a sexual relationship that happened, mm -hmm. and um, and although it doesn't come right out and say it, if you want to, like that that was his expectations. He's he was basically saying in an interview. He wanted to to very clearly indicate that yes, this is the this is what's happened without actually showing it or saying it. But I mean, I've watched it a bunch of times, and sometimes but why they like, don't have they don't have a problem showing a lot of other stuff. I don't know. I think I, I again, maybe it could have been for time. I mean, the movie's two hours and fifteen. Like they <laughs> yeah, could probably have trimmed fifteen minutes really out of this long. movie. They should have yeah. got it under two hours. Oh yeah, they they could have cut forty five minutes off this movie. But yep. in, in this relationship, I felt like it should have been more obvious. It's like he should have had a physical affair with her because or then because I think when when Emma Thompson finds out and she puts on that brave face because of her children, you know, then we could have properly addressed another kind of love, which is, you know, her love for her family and her children. Again, I just feel like the movie just misses the mark again and again. But 
Well, and with so with that with that story, I always felt that if we were supposed to absolutely be certain that Alan Rickman did something, like it didn't really seem like he was um, reciprocating this 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 relationship from this you know this new woman who's working in his office and she's clearly hitting on him and throwing herself at him. I never really got the impression that he um, was into it. Like, I mean, obviously everyone loves, you know, everyone likes it when a pretty girl winks at you and, and waves at you and flirts with you. And that's great. But it's like, um, you know, when you've been married a long time, you're not, you're not going to leave your wife or something like, well, I mean, you hope you wouldn't, but I, I, it wasn't like, like, I think if there had been a scene and maybe even at the, well, probably not a Christmas party because his wife was there, but it, it, there was nothing that I, that I got out of it where it was like clear that he had made up his mind that, oh yeah, I'm doing this. Like there was a little mm-hmm. bit of the banter, but um, yeah, but, I think, but I think then make it, then make it here. clear one way or the other. Yeah. Make it clear yeah. that he's going to do that and explore that or make it clear that he's not going to do that to explore that kind of love. So let me know. ask you this. If, if he, let's assume that nothing physical happened. Mm-hmm. Now that's not to say that maybe nothing was going to happen, but he buys her the necklace, mm-hmm. but nothing has happened up until then. And the wife confronts him. And he, so obviously after this confrontation, even if he was thinking about doing it, it's clear that at that point he's not going to, do you think that changes things at all? Like how, or how much would that change? He's still emotionally cheating, I guess, for sure on his wife. So there's that, and that's a real problem. And maybe that's if, if there's a remake of this, maybe there's a, a, an element that's thrown into the, to this new remake where somebody has a relationship with somebody online where you don't actually meet them. You don't actually see them physically. You don't even know who they are, but you essentially are cheating on your spouse with somebody online through chats. Like maybe right. that's some way to, to add a more modern element to it. But back in 2003, I feel they, they should have made a sharper choice. That's all mm-hmm. I think. Um, so what else was there? There was the, oh. Hang on, let me ask you. The, yeah. So the scene where he goes to buy the necklace and mm-hmm. Mr. Bean is there as the salesman. Hated that Tell scene. me. You I didn't hated, like that scene? I hated that scene. Oh, my God. That's like, I love that scene. That's one of the best scenes. Whenever no. you ask people about this movie, they're like, oh, the scene where he buys the necklace. Like, I just, I love it. No, it was, it was just prolonged and stuff. And I just, no, I didn't like that scene. Uh, but I also don't like Mr. Bean. I don't like Roland oh, Atkinson. Okay. So, oh. so I guess that's it. Um, so Laura Linney, I want to get into her her subplot because she's obsessed with this guy in the office and then finally gets them home and then they're just starting to get in bed and she gets a call from her brother. So she leaves a guy to be with her brother who it turns out is mentally ill. And I feel like this could have just been so, so, so good. The whole idea of just throwing aside physical love in favor of something more important, you know, it just, Ah, but it comes off as very superficial, I felt. Although Laura Linney's boobs make an appearance. So there was that. Oh, speaking of which, uh, my, my wife says to me when we're watching this, and she's like, I think the only reason Derek likes this movie is that there's boobs in it. That's and it not got, the only reason. But. And it, well, it got me thinking, there's not a lot of Christmas movies with boobs in them. <laughs> really, uh, like Christmas movies with boobs was never really a big thing, even back in the no. 80s. Which you no. totally expect. Yeah. But, but let me ask you. So hang on, let me go back then. Pre-boob question. Yeah. Uh, the scene with Laura Linney where she brings the guy back to her apartment and they're mm-hmm. standing in the doorway and she, she's like, can you hold on for just a minute? And she steps around the corner and she does her little happy dance. Yeah. And then goes back. Again, that's my wife's favorite part. Every time this movie's on, she just loves that part. Laura Tell Linney. Me. Laura Linney could could act. She is such a talented actress. I agree. She could make anything work. Like, I don't know. There is just something about her. I don't know what it is. It's an intangible. I love her. I I, I, I just think she's fantastic. I think she's beautiful and talented and all that. And then you got this scene where I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to take off her top. <laughs> this is like, oh, this should be fantastic for me because I love Laura Linney. But it just, I don't know. It just didn't quite work for me. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, so other types of love, inappropriate love, the prime minister and his intern. Yeah, that now. And again, I think in any sort of a remake, that one, you need mm-hmm. to switch the genders. I think if the person I agree. The powers I agree. a woman, I think yeah. the scene is not any less inappropriate, but I think it's more acceptable. I think people are more accepting in that 
that that dynamic or maybe yeah, that's this, the same sex couple like who knows but this, to have a man this, yeah the world leader you know yeah you know digging her bill clinton did this it didn't work out <laughs> you know well and did you love billy bob thornton as the bill clinton-esque president like well that was great. Yeah. he's in it for two minutes and it's just like he's so perfect oh yeah he's you hate him and and then that's a, thing, he did that, a perfect job and that's a thing i think i think even when hugh grant starts to kind of like like her is it just because he's jealous because the american president is coming on to her like I don't understand that. Like, and then there's no, that whole scene he already, where he, before that, he already said the thing where he, even right at the very beginning where he sort of does the second glance at her. And then he says something like to himself, he's like, Oh, this is going to be a problem. Like, I but, think at but, that point you're supposed to realize like he's likes her. But so then they make him be the hero by standing up to the president in the press conference. Why didn't he say something to the president in the moment? Like, I mean, come on, dude. You know, I don't know. He's a wuss. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I just. Because it's and not the, the British thing to do. I don't know. The other thing with that whole subplot that got me was what the hell was the, the deal with all the fat jokes? Everyone yeah. calls her fat. They're like, oh, you have huge thighs. And, and her family calls her plumpy. And even even the prime minister makes a crack about her weight. She's not fat. Like, okay. I just, it's just all so weird and inappropriate and poorly done. I'm like, what the the heck was there, going there on were, there? There were a few fat jokes. That was one. Of, and so when my wife and I watched it this week, that's what we said after. I was like, there's a lot more fat jokes in this than I remember. And I'm wondering if it was just because in 2003, it was sort of already a point where they knew there were certain things they could and couldn't make fun of. And at the time, they probably felt, well, if we make fun of someone's weight, that's still acceptable. Um, but to your point, the the – the performer that plays Natalie, I don't think she's overweight. I think she's gorgeous. I think she's yeah. very attractive in this movie. And like, I don't find her fat at all. I, so did, I don't I know. Did, yeah. I mean, maybe I it's just a it. different standard. And yeah, I don't know. So, and that's right. one thing, even from day one, I've sort of gone, huh, that, mm -hmm. that, that just didn't seem to work. All right. So another, another exploration of love is the ugly guy who just wants sex. <laughs> oh, so he goes to Wisconsin. Yeah. Wisconsin. I love when he's leaving for the airplane and he goes, uh, you know, here comes Colin and he's got a big knob. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just love that. I laugh at that every time. But of, of all places, he goes to Wisconsin. It's like, yeah. I got the shit kicked out of me in Wisconsin once. Forget <laughs> it. That's from Stripes, by the way. So then he goes there and immediately meets up with these super hot chicks. He gets to sleep yeah. with them all as if. Like, I mean, ah, but that, that goes back to what he had said earlier in the dialogue where he said, you know, I'll bet you any random typical bar in America has 10 more beautiful women than the whole country of England. And I, I mean, I think it's, I think we're supposed to believe it's also his perspective too, yeah. right? It's the idea that, um, you know, he's in a new place and everyone's going to just look super hot to him. But, th so but that's a fun scene. Yeah. Like every woman that mm. comes in is more attractive than the one before. Right. Yeah. We can't um, afford pajamas. We only have one big bed to sleep in. It's like, oh, geez, but they're not bad. lesbians. They do. It's almost like, yeah. dear penthouse letters. I never thought it would right. happen to me, but there I was in Wisconsin. <laughs> so the other kind of love I want to talk about is porn love. I don't know what else to call it, um, but I felt like it was maybe one of the better story arcs. How the the two actors that are stand-ins for porn. I don't even know mm. if that's a thing. Do, do porn actors yeah. need stand-ins? I mean, lighting is super important, I'm sure, in porn. But I mean, really? Stand-ins? Like so. So this is the thing, I, and I sort of caught this the last time, last few times through it. I don't think they were stand-ins for a porno movie. I think they were supposed to be stand-ins for like real performers uh, that were going to be having like an erotic love scene. Because he even says at one point he stood in for Brad Pitt and... And if you look at the production value of the sets where they are, like those look like real expensive Hollywood sets. And not that I'm a. That why is she down on her knees world, basically but, simulating oral sex with them? Well, that doesn't I, I make mean, sense. I, I guess I, I, you can interpret it either way because I, and I actually read a thing when I was going through and doing the homework on this where they talked about how um, – for the kind of stand-in roles that those two were doing, it wasn't necessarily that the performer was, you know, same height, same weight. It was more important that they had same skin tone, same hair color, mm -hmm. same like, cause it, again, it's a, and you probably know this better than I do, but it, they're trying to measure like, 
how to set up the lighting for when the the real performer is is on the set and they're not just paying you know Brad Pitt a million dollars a day to stand right. around while they measure the lighting. But they so. wouldn't have the girl down on her knees simulating. Probably not. Effects. I think that was so probably done more. It was a, it was definitely for porn. But but, 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 I but like, one of the th things I like about this this dynamic is the first time they meet each other, they basically take their clothes off. And mm -hmm. so the, the mystery that so many relationships have around like, Oh, well, I'm going to meet this person. And if I like them and I go on a date and I get to kiss them and eventually there might be some touching. And then you sort of like the pinnacle is, and then at the very end, I'm going to get to potentially see them naked. And, and like, that's when you know you have arrived in this relationship. And with this one, it's sort of the opposite. It's like, boom, here's everything I am. I'm standing here naked. And now let's get to know each other. And mm -hmm. so when they eventually have the, the conversation of like, hey, do you want to go out? And she's like, all I want for Christmas is you and all that kind of stuff. It's like it's not necessarily, hey, I'm just in this to, to for the carnal of it. It's like they've already seen the goods. So mm -hmm. I, I, I really liked how this one sort of flipped the tradition on its head. I did like that, too, how they were like they're naked. But then they're, when they they get up together, they're super shy. And when he yeah. finally gets a kiss from her, he's all like giddy and boyish. Yeah. So I I, yeah. I thought that was kind of cool, but uh, and you know I, I felt is, like they need to explore that a little bit more. Like and and maybe there were just too many story arcs going on, but that, maybe they should have just possible. had fewer story arcs and maybe. more with substance. I don't know. Maybe that was so it. that that subplot when they show this on on uh, syndicated TV, they just mm -hmm. cut it right out. They cut out every part of that relationship and the scene at the very end where they bump into them at the airport. They cut that out, too. And those mm -hmm. two performers are just removed completely from the edit, edit which for makes sense. So a lot of people that I know when they watch this and, you, and, you know, and then they they don't know they don't realize that the first time they ever saw it was on television. So then when they see it on a streamer or on a Blu-ray later, they're like, oh, what's with this scene like i remember somebody i know mm. was like oh uh yeah we watch christmas movies with my family and i'd suggest we watch love actually because it's so great and rah 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 and they sat down and they're like then this scene comes on with the people being naked and the guy was like i don't remember this scene i wouldn't have been watching it with my grandma and my mom in the room kind of thing so mm -hmm. um but yeah um, so i think i think some people who maybe have only seen it once or twice they maybe right. don't know that that I missed sequence. that one um the other story arc that was a bit more traditional was Colin Firth. So him and the maid fall in love and they have to overcome this barrier of language, yeah. Yeah. you know, so love can prevail. Like that's, that's more like a typical rom-com type yeah. thing, which I thought, but the only story arc that I actually really enjoy, or I like the best at least was the old rocker. Now, now yeah. I, I, I'll be honest. I think his whole story was actually kind of dumb. Yeah. The only thing I liked about was at the end when he gets to go to Elton John's party and instead he comes home early to see his manager who he's called names and he's called him fat and he's he calls treated him, fat him bad, movie. And you know, like again, for a guy who's probably 50 or 60, like, yeah, he's a little on the heavy side, but I wouldn't call him fat. I know a lot, a lot of fatter guys than that guy. But he, yeah. And I like how he says to him, you're the love of my life. And he means it in like a platonic way. Yes. You know, yes. it's it's just a love of someone that's always been with you, always been by your side. Yeah. I think that might have been my favorite scene of the movie. Like, really? And, and I, yeah, because I think the actor that played the manager really sold it, too. Like, yeah. he was quite good in that scene. That would have been a really tricky scene, I think, to navigate as an actor. So props to him. One thing about him, too, when I, when I first saw him, I thought he was like a fat Richard Dawson. I don't know. <laughs> that's why I was like, is that Richard Dawson? But I, I, I just, I liked that whole idea of this platonic love. Yeah. You know, as a storyline too, which, which you've got this rocker who can get any girl he wants. He, he's doing that video with all these like, uh, Robert Palmer girls yeah. in it and stuff. In the, in the but Christmas no, outfits. Yeah. No, I'm going to just go back and spend time with you, my manager, because you're the person that has meant the most to me. And I love you more than anybody else. Like I, th I thought that was a pretty, pretty good, pretty good part of the movie. I thought. Yeah. No, that's you fair. Um, so a little bit with the cast. I mean, you know, there was it was a huge cast. Like yeah. I almost think it was a kind of a distraction in a way. It just felt like they just kept throwing all these familiar faces at the you know, so the audience can go, oh look who that is. Oh, cool. well, but keep in mind. Some of these people, like even in the way that the names are presented at the beginning of the movie, 
there's a lot of the people that are in this that maybe don't have huge parts that have mm -hmm. gone on to become much more well-known that at the time were not famous or were not as well-known. And so to your point, now you watch it and it's a little distracting. It's like, oh, I know that guy. That's Rick from Walking Dead. Well, believe me, at the time, nobody knew who he was. Even right. Kira Knightley was was a relative nobody when this came out. And Atuta Ejirfor, like, until he was in 12 Years a Slave and... and started getting like a lot of critical props. He was just a, another British character actor. So you have that, those three performers in that subplot that most people are just like, I don't really know who any of these people are. They're all pretty as hell and I'll watch them do just about anything. But it's like, who are they? Here we are 20 years later. It's like, yeah, look at these three super famous, very successful people. And it's like, so I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I think I'd like to just talk about some of the lesser actors in it. For lack of a better term, I don't want to say that they're lesser, sure. but less famous, at least. Okay. okay. So the the maid, Aurelia, I think it was her name, um, Lucia Moniz. I, yeah, I, I was watching, I, I was her. like, I'm for sure I've seen her in something. Like, she just looked so familiar. But I went through her IMDb, nothing. Didn't know, like, I'm like, how do I know her? Nope, don't know. But I and, assume she's got a lot of credits. Like, I imagine for for movies like this where they have a performer that's supposed to be not English speaking, like, it's clear English is not her first language. I assume she's got a very good career in she Europe. She does. In, in, in Portugal. She's Portugal, Portuguese, yeah. and she's, like, a huge Portuguese actress. Yeah, and because yeah. I read a lot of stuff where they were talking about... So I don't know if you saw the poster of the movie, but it's basically um, it's set up like a like a gift, a wrapped mm, gift box yeah. with like all these different stuff. people. And so yeah. it's like basically all these these segments of the box. It's the different pictures of all the different relationships. And I was reading how as the movie was marketed in different areas of the world, different performers were subbed in and out based on who was famous in what region. Like they talk about Aurelia being on the cover in, you know, anywhere where there was, right. uh, uh, you know, people, people, people speaking Portuguese or the guy, Paulo, the boyfriend um, for the Laura Linney storyline. He's not in the real poster. But when they're when they were marketing it, I believe, in South America, they made sure to put his face on there because he was in Brazil there. because yeah. he, he was like the Tom Cruise of Brazil. Remember, he yeah. was in Lost. Yeah, he was Paulo. And he was the in the movie uh, 300, the based on the Frank Miller graphic novel uh, by with Robert, uh, not Robert Rodriguez, Zack Snyder directing. He was he played Xerxes, the main villain. Mm. The, the, and so, again, he's he's had opportunities yeah. and he's he's had some some mainstream movies that where he's been like featured more prominently. I so. remember in season three of Lost, they, they introduced him, Paulo and Nikki. And nobody liked series. him. So they just killed him off, which I yeah. thought was interesting. Um Annie was played by Nina Sosanya. She was a girl that worked with Alan Rickman. She looks so familiar to me. And I looked her up on IMDb too. Couldn't place her in anything. Maybe she, uh, she looks always, like another actress or something. She reminds me of Jerry Ryan who plays Seven of Nine on Star Trek. No, no, no. That was that was the the, the German girl that was coming on to Alan Rickman. Yes, oh, I agreed you with you. Yeah. I'm talking about the, the black girl. She had a space in her teeth. Her name was Annie, and she, I was like, I know her from somewhere. Where have I seen her? The one who were oh, the one who worked with the prime minister. Oh, with the prime minister. Sorry, yes, that was it. Yeah, she. Yeah, what was she? she's done? Couldn't a lot of figure British, out where she. She's yeah. big. She's a big British performer. I've seen her in a Maybe lot of British shows. Um, and then yeah, also, um, I think her name was Stacy. She was the first uh, hot Wisconsin girl that that guy meets. I remembered her right away. As soon as I saw her, I recognized her. She was in Seinfeld. She was married to this bad tennis player. And then the tennis player tried to get her to come on to Jerry. So Jerry wouldn't tell people he was bad at tennis. I recognized her. But one I wanted to mention too was Claudia Schiffer. This whole thing was just dumb. So Liam Neeson has this thing for Claudia Schiffer. Don't blame him. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it, it seemed like he had this sort of hall pass thing with his wife that, you know, if they ever had the chance, he could be with Claudia Schiff or whatever. And then his wife dies. And then at the end of the movie, she shows up. But it's not Claudia Schiffer. She's like playing some woman named Carol or something. I'm like, what? Like, so in this world that they've created in this movie, they've established the existence of Claudia Schiffer. She exists as a supermodel. So why not just have Claudia Schiffer show up at the end? And then Liam Neeson gets to be with her. 
It'd be like well, his I, wife. They they had this hall pass thing. His wife is dead, and he gets to go and be with Claudia Schiffer, the one woman that his wife approved that he could be with. Like, just let it go like that. I just don't get it. I I think you're just supposed to believe that it's like, um, you know, it's the, the someone someone that he like. It's the mother of one of the son's friends. It's supposed to have a resemblance to her. I I mean, the fact they actually got the performer is one thing, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was fine. What about the song? That song that that old guy was playing, was that an actual song? I think my wife was like, I think this song was popular from this movie. Yeah. Remember, remember saying, the one that was like, I feel it in my fingers. I feel yeah. it in my toes. And I'm like, I recognize that. Like, I've heard that before. Yeah. Uh, so the they were doing a Christmas cover of of a different song and that other the original song I was reading it had been popular like 10 years earlier and it had actually been used in one of his other movies so it had been in a movie soundtrack and so oh. it was sort of like a little wink wink like we're going to make a remake of a movie that I helped make famous through one of my previous movies. Okay. Yeah, like I said, it it's really seemed familiar. And then the title Love Actually. What does it mean? I think they alluded to something at the beginning, but maybe I missed it. Yeah, in the dialogue, he's he talks about um, at the very beginning where he's like, "I like to go to Heathrow Airport because everyone coming off the airplane is just happy to see everybody else, and you can see all the the people hugging and in love." And he said, "I think you'd find that love actually is all around us." And I believe that was the original oh. title was "Love Actually Is All Around Us," and then gotcha. they just trimmed it down. So some alternative titles that they could have made instead of "Love Actually," "Long Actually," because this movie is. Friggin' long. It's way isn't, too isn't long. That, isn't that your nickname, bud? Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, oh, my. Also, another title could have been Dumb Actually, Boring Actually, or as I mentioned at the top, Actually, I would have went with. But Love Actually was actually made on a budget of $40 million. It took in $56 million at the domestic box office in the U.S. So that was good enough for 49th place that year in 2003 it came out in november so it made all of its money in that calendar year of 2003 but uh, it was outperformed by such films as brother bear and open range but derek it did do better than such luminaries as under the tuscan sun secondhand lions and of course from justin to kelly but that year uh finding nemo was the number one movie at the box office uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. So that would have been what's her face? Yeah, Kira Knightley. Yeah, Kira Knightley was in that by then. And then The Matrix Reloaded, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and Bruce Almighty were the big ones. So yeah. you know the movie wasn't. It, it was okay as a as a hit. Okay with critics and stuff. And I just I don't feel like it's held up over the years, but. But at the same time, it, it is held up in the sense that it's continually, now that it's considered a holiday movie, we see it every year. Every we year, do. November and December, back on TV. And and I mentioned to you before, when I used to work at the video store, like this is where the real money was on holiday movies because every holiday people want it. So there's just, you know, you had to acquire the inventory or in the mm -hmm. case of a streaming, they're obviously acquiring the rights and they're paying for it. So somebody's making money on the back end of this thing. And uh, so it's, it doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. No, it's probably still going to be here. Do you want to give me a rating out of 10 for this movie? Uh, I'd probably give it a seven and a half. Mm, pretty high. I'd probably give it a five to be honest yeah. with you. Given uh, how, you know. you, how you usually rate the things you yeah. really don't like, I'll take yeah. a five. Yeah. Yeah. There was like almost like nuggets of something there. But it just wasn't quite delivered properly, I felt. That was just my thought. But Well, there was there was one uh, other thing I want to mention. So um, in uh, in England a few years ago, so there's a, a – I don't know all the specifics, and I'm sorry. I should have done the homework. But um, they do a charity day called Red Nose Day where they in, – in England, they, they collect money for charity. And um, they often have like famous celebrities do like short videos and things like that. And the one year, a couple of years ago, what they did was they basically did a Love Actually sequel film. And it was like oh. about seven or eight minutes long. And it was revisiting a lot of- Much shorter than the original film. Yeah, it was. It revisited all of these characters like 10 years later and sort of like, where are they and how are they doing? Obviously didn't feature every story because they didn't have time. And I believe by that point, Alan Rickman had passed. So like mm -hmm. they, that was part of the reason that that story wasn't involved. Um, and they they- they tread back on some of the jokes. And so like one of the things they do in the new version is um, 
is that Hugh Grant is still the prime minister and uh, he does another dance sequence, except this time it's to Hotline Bling by Jake by Drake. Mm. And um, and then again, at the end of the film, they all talk about like, you know, please give to charity, blah, blah, blah. And that's all well and good. But so if you are a fan of this movie and you haven't seen the the Red Nose Day sort of sequel follow up, it's worth taking a look. I'm sure it's on YouTube and um, it's fun to just revisit these characters all those years later. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, on that note, what do you say we have some fun with Caveman? Okay, so we're going to play a little game here, Derek, that I like to call Pick the Flick. Yeah, Pick the Flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the flick. You get the year, pick the flick. You know how this game works. So I sure do. I give you the year and the synopsis. You just guess the title of the film. Common thread. All the movies, actually, Derek, it's super easy. They all have the word love in the title. Oh, boy. Okay. okay. All right. So we're going to start with 2022. Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods extinct? Uh, that would be Thor, Love and Thunder. All right, 1987. An outcast secretly pays the most popular girl in school $1,000 to pretend to be his girlfriend for a month. Yeah, can't buy me love. Yep, starring 2023's Sexiest Man Alive, Patrick Dempsey. Again, I totally got f***ed over for that award, by the way. All right, 1964. An insane American general orders a bombing attack on the Soviet Union, triggering a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically tries to stop. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get the full title right, so it's it's Dr. Strangelove or How I... Learn to love the bomb. I'll give it to you. It's Doctor Strange Love is what it's about, okay. or, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. There okay. we go. Yeah, 19- I, knew I didn't have it right, but it yeah. was close. A little bit newer. Nineteen ninety-eight. The world's greatest ever playwright is young, out of ideas, and short of cash, but meets his ideal woman and is inspired to write one of his most famous plays. Right, Shakespeare in Love. All right, 1977, James Bond investigates the hijacking of British and Russian submarines carrying nuclear warheads with the help of a KGB agent whose lover he killed. Oh, we did this one on the podcast, right? This was, um, uh, was this The Spy Who Loved Me? It was the spy who loved me, but we didn't do it on the podcast. We did for your eyes only. Oh, right. All right. 1963. James Bond, once again, willingly falls into an assassination plot involving a naive Russian beauty in order to retrieve a Soviet encryption device that was stolen by Spectre. (sighs) Well, we know it. We which one did I just say? I just said the spy who loved me. So this has to be uh, from Russia with love. Took me a second. But yep. The, the, remember, remember, love is in the title. Okay. 1967. Idealistic engineer trainee and his experiences in teaching a group of rambunctious white high school students from the slums of London's East End. Was this uh, To Sir with Love? Such a good movie. Okay, 1981. 1981. Parental disapproval of a passionate romance between two teenagers leads to arguments, circumstance, insanity, and tragedy. What was the year again? 1981. Jeez. I have no idea. My endless love. Sure. Okay. You don't know endless love? Never Brooke heard Shields? Of it. Brooke Shields? Oh, come on. All right. 1970. A boy 
and a girl from different backgrounds fall in love, regardless of their upbringing, and then tragedy strikes. I have no idea. I'll give you a hint. The tagline was, love means never having to say you're sorry. Oh. Uh, you can yeah. do it. You can no, do I it. don't. I don't know. I want Brian's song, but that's not. No, it was Love Story. Love Story. Oh, it literally was Love Story. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, with Ryan O'Neill and Lee McGraw. Okay, 1999. After 19 years of playing the game he's loved his whole life, Detroit Tigers pitcher Billy Chappell has to decide if he's going to risk everything and put everything out there. This was just on TV this week. I was watching part of it. It's uh, Kevin Costner for Love of the Game. Very good. All right, 1993. The story of singer Tina Turner's rise to stardom and how she gained the courage to break free from her abusive husband, Ike Turner. Yeah, it's uh, What's Love Got to Do With It? 2008. Pitka, an American raised outside of his country by gurus, returns to the States in order to break into the self-help business. His first challenge is to settle the romantic troubles and subsequent professional skid of a star hockey player whose wife left him for a rival athlete. This is uh, this is that Mike Myers one, right? It was um, oh, it was the Love Guru. Was that what it called? It was. It I was never bothered to awful. actually watch it was that stupid so thing. Bad. Yeah, yeah. All right, 1969. Down on his luck, race car driver Jim Douglas teams up with a little Volkswagen bug that has a mind of its own, not realizing Herbie's worth until a sneaky rival plots to steal him. Right, that was uh, Herbie the Love Bug. Okay, this last one isn't a movie, but I just had to get it in there. Okay. The romantic and comic tales of the passengers and crew of the cruise ship Pacific Princess. I have no idea. It's not like you ever talk about it on the show. How would I ever know? <laughs> I just... I'll just give it to you. I was going to say, I refuse to answer. <laughs> it's the love boat, as we know. No. Oh, of course. I know. No, surprising. Okay. So you nominated a Christmas movie celebrating a major milestone anniversary. And I think it's worthwhile that we take some time and look at a few other Christmas movies celebrating milestone anniversaries as we lead up to the holidays this year. So I'm going to go back 35 years. Okay. okay, 1988, this Christmas film was released in theaters. A little bit of a different take on an old Christmas story, and that's Scrooged oh, nice. with Bill I Murray. I saw this in the theater. I saw this in the theater when it first came out. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we're going to watch Scrooged, and we're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to review it here. You're up for that? Oh, yeah. I love this movie. I can't wait to rewatch it. Oh, it was awesome. on my rewatch list. This, uh, again, coming into the holidays, I've got about a dozen movies I like to watch. This is one that I watch almost every year, and it was coming up on my list. So now i got a good wow. Yet another reason to watch it. Yeah. Look at Whereas me, I probably have not seen this movie in 25 years. It came out 35 years ago. I bet you I haven't seen it in 25, 30 years. Well. So, but like I say, I saw it in the theater when it first came out. I, I, I absolutely remember seeing it in the theater because yeah. there's the whole thing, and we'll talk about it next week. There's a whole thing at the end credits where he's like, now just the girls sing. Now just the men. No, no, just the real men. Oh, you guys are terrible. Now just the right side of the audience. And just, and I was in the audience when this was going on, and they're like the people in the audience were laughing, and it's like, <laughs> what's going on with this? He's talking right to us. So, yeah, no, this is good. I liked it. All right, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to come back, and we're going to review Scrooged next time out. So until then, I'm Chris McBrien, that's Derek Myers, and we're saying thanks a lot for taking the time to listen to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 